Welcome everybody and dogs to the second edition of Campfire Heritage Stories. It is lovely to see you all and thank you for bringing the sunshine. A thank you to the Horn Hill Village Hall and Institute. I'm glad I haven't had a drink, Stuart. I wouldn't be able to say that if I had. The Institute has funded this project, so thank you for making it possible. And now I'd like to welcome our special guests, our storytellers, Gregory Gonzalez and Dr. Gita Ludra. Welcome. Both Gregory and Gita are going to tell us a little bit about themselves, and they've also bought a special object from home, and they're going to explain why they've bought that special object and why it's so special to them. I don't know who's drawn the, the I don't know, it's the long or the short straw to start. <laughs> Let's change the narrative, men can go first. <laughs> Hi, good afternoon all. So I am Gregory Gonzalez, I live in Aylesbury, originated from Philippines, so been in UK now, in England since uh, 2001. So we are the first batch of nurses uh, who came over here on 2001. Nurse is a sort of synonymous to being Filipino. We are the biggest, uh, I, I should use the word, importer of Filipino nurses all over the world. Our main market before was America, Middle East, and I think one third of the foreign nurses there are from Philippines. And it's only on year 2001, because of the bilateral agreement between UK and the Philippines, that's how we came over here. At the moment, there is about 200,000 Filipino population in, uh, and amongst those 40,000 are nurses. I am youngest of seven children, so grew up in Philippines. I'm married with my wife there with six children as well. I'm also the current president of Philippine organization in Stoke Mandeville Hospital, so th that's where I work in spinal unit. I have been doing nursing for the last uh, 30 years, and uh, that's it. Okay, hi everybody, my name's Geeta Ludra, and I am a British-born South Asian woman. I work as an academic in a university and work with trainee teachers. Alongside that, I also have my family commitments. I've just become a first-time grandmother four months ago as well. I was raised in Nottingham, and then I moved to Hounslow. I've lived in Hayes, I've lived in Southall, Slough, and then I moved to the Chilterns a couple of years ago. And when I moved to the Chilterns, I became very interested in how outdoor spaces are used by different communities, who has access to those spaces, and who generally doesn't enter those spaces, and what the reasons are for that. As a researcher and academic, I suppose I kind of position myself as a critical feminist, someone who's interested in the stories of women who are usually invisible in history research, and how can we change those narratives of whose stories are visible and invisible. I'm a storyteller. I suppose from my childhood, I always loved stories. I always believed in the power of story. So I try to use stories as a way of connecting communities across the globe. And I'm really excited to be here today alongside Gregory. 
and we've been talking beforehand about my daughter working in the hospital where he where he works and leads and some of the things that we've observed particularly for minority ethnic communities who work in the NHS. So Gregory what is the object that you brought with you? So I brought with me so Philippines is a very Catholic country we are the fifth largest Christian country in the world and third biggest Catholic uh, country in, in, in on earth and 90% of our population are Catholic. So this is an image of one of the saints called Santo Rosario. This was my father-in-law's, uh, he brought this with him. He works as a seaman in, in a tanker. So he's been doing that throughout his life and he always take this with him as sort of comfort and just to protect him and when me and my wife got married, this was given to us. So every time, wherever we go, we, we make sure to bring this with us. It, it's, it's, it's like our security or something, something that we believe in. This is our faith and comfort for us. So I think this has been since 1960s. And Gregory, will that be passed down to the next generation? Yeah, that's the plan. But you have six children. Yeah. And I was going to say, who's going to get it? Get a fight for it. It's going to be a competition. <laughs> Gita, you have a whole tray with you. Yes. What have you got there? So I have bought a wooden tray. And the first prop I'm going to show is this pestle and mortar. It's an old one, which my mother-in-law's mother-in-law gave to her to make tea with. And when I got married, gosh, 33 years ago, I used it in her kitchen when we lived in the extended family. And then when I moved home outside of the extended family, she gave it to me. And when I got married in 1989, I had an arranged marriage, arranged in inverted commas. So I didn't get to see my husband beforehand and my mum, my dad, my aunties, uncles, cousins, all went to check out my prospective husband. And when they came back, <laughs> no pressure, they all, they came back and I said, so what is he like? Well, they didn't really talk about him, but they talked about the food. And I was like, yes, but get to it. What is he like? This is the guy that you've been to see for me. And I said, well, your prospective future mother-in-law, gosh, can she cook. And my aunt said, if you end up marrying this guy, there is a magic in your mother-in-law's hands. She makes the best tea. So learn her tea recipe and then come back and teach us. So when I got married, my mother-in-law was quite secretive. And whenever she cooked or did anything, it wasn't in a very public way. So I had to find ways to stand at the stove with her and learn. And obviously the tea recipe is one when I went back to my maternal home that I wanted to go back and show off and say, right, I can make tea like no one's made Indian tea before. So I watched her like this Ayurvedic teaologist at work and she was like a magician. She was so casual, quite slow. She would always, she'd crush the herbs and spices in this pestle and mortar, and she'd just never measure anything. As those of you who've got grandmothers or great-grandmothers will know, they didn't measure. Everything was through the eye and their memory. And she would just throw spices in to this simmering 
pot of tea. So I'll pass this bowl around and these are kind of the winter spices that I use in my tea. So if you could pass those around please. And this tea recipe has become really special because when my daughter got married, my oldest daughter, I made it for her in-laws when they came to the house and they loved it. And then I taught my son-in-law how to make Indian tea. So, and I now make it for our community countryside walks. I've got several flasks, so the walkers have to carry the flasks, but I get up early, make tea flasks, and then we enjoy them on our countryside walks. In the tray as well, I've got this. I don't know if anyone knows why it's used. So there's a simmering pot of tea, does anybody know? Oh, you can use it for coffee. It's to kind of froth it up. So when it's simmering, if you've been to India, any of you, you'll see on the roadsides where they use it to really froth up the tea and they, you know, the chaiwale. And these milk rusks, I bought these in because I still eat them today. And my grandmother, who lived with us in the extended family, used to dip these into tea in the morning. So I don't know if any, I can yeah. see a few yeah. nods yeah. for those rusks. <laughs> so tea for me is really special. It has stories of tears, of joy, with mainly women standing over the stove. And when I got married in the extended family, where people were coming and going from our family home a lot, it was always not put the kettle on, it was always put the pot on because the tea was brewed and it was brewed like a work of art. And it brought women together, but it wasn't just stories of joy. Tears were also shed when tea was being made. So yeah, that's it. Thank you. When can I come over for tea? You're welcome. <laughs> Anybody You're welcome. joining me? When, when, when can we come <laughs> Come on one of the walks and you'll get to taste it. Oh, wow. Thank you very much, Geeta and Gregory. Now it's your turn to participate. Nothing too onerous at first, but I've got a, a basket of... At first, are you on the edge of your, I was going to say seat, yes. straw bale. Um, I've got a basket of words and some museum objects. And I'm going to bring the basket round and maybe you can pick one out and we'll ask Gregory and Gita to respond to that object or word. Some of you might want to pitch in as well. Here we go. Would you like to take an object out? I'm going to put it take down. Take an object out. So, BJ, Why? is there something in there that you would like Gita or Gregory to respond to? So this looks like an old milk bottle from Chesham, not far away from here. Well, can I go first? Yeah. Because this, in the early 60s, the men came over from India first. And I've got stories of my dad, my uncle, talking to me about making chapatis, not with the rolling pin, but using a, an old milk bottle to roll the chapatis. Right. Would you like to pick something out of the basket? Ah, oh, here's our next object. What do you think that is? Something that you use to like wash yourself? Yes, part of getting ready perhaps. I think this is a very old hairbrush. Right, hairbrush for Gregory. 
So hairbrush, particularly this one, reminds me of family, particularly our grandparents. So Filipino are extended family. We tend to, I think, some since Indian, unlike in, in Western society, the child or the children tend to move out as early as possible. On the other hand, we tend to live in one house, including our grandmother until the time they pass away. Living in one house with your granddad, your uncle, the children, it's, it's a very, very close-knit, and this reminds me particularly of my grandmother. You got a grandmother at home who's looking after the grandchildren, combing hair and everything, and it's sort of a heirloom as well, so whatever's left by the grandmother, pass it to, the, to my mother, to the children, and so on and so forth. It's beautiful. Thank you, Gregory. Well, the next one, Adam over here has chosen uh, something a little heavy. It's quite small, but very heavy. And it is an old iron. You can go. Yeah. I mean, uh, growing up in, in, in Philippines, uh, you got to tend to yourself. I, I, I grew up with my mom migrated in America and my dad passed away early, so I have to look after myself as early as possible ironing my clothes on my own, washing it, while, you know, cooking for myself and everything. And this is the sort of thing that I am, uh, I t tell my kids as early as now, so they got the chores to do. We teach them as early as possible in their life. You know, although we are here in England, you're gonna start looking after yourself, cooking, washing and everything. So become responsible uh, for yourself. And yeah, and I can imagine as well, those old iron in Philippines, really, really old ones, it's, it's battered. They look a little bit like that, but a little bigger, and then they put uh, hot coals in hot it. Hot coals in it, yeah. So, so I mean, We didn't use it growing up, but when the, in the 80s, the Philippines would be tormented by huge monsoons, typhoons, and there won't be any electricity for about a week, two weeks, and the, um, the elders would try to look for those so that we could go to school, because you can't go to school with unpressed clothes. So, you know, you may not have light, you may not have electricity, no TV, but you gotta go to school with press clothes. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Right, next we have a word, journey. Gita, what does that mean to you? So journey for me, as a British-born Indian woman, is quite an emotional word because for me as an academic today, my journey has been quite challenging, really. So I grew up in a working class family where I've heard stories of my parents who had to do the jobs which were the most menial jobs that nobody else wanted to do in the early 60s and hearing their stories of racism when they came here and the th mantra of the journey that my parents instilled in, in me were three words education, education, education. And I'll never forget those three words because they saw that as a way for their children to get out of poverty, to get out of the, out of the laboring work that they did. And I'll never forget those three words. And that's what I kind of pursued. I pursued my own educational journey despite all the odds against me. And after children is when I pursued kind of my feminist journey in education and got my doctorate and used that as a platform to amplify and 
inspire other women, particularly from minority ethnic communities, about the power of education. So I suppose journey for me as a woman has been possibly quite different to other people who have not had those migration histories. Thank you, Gita. Do you want to add something to uh, that, yeah. Gregory? Uh, journey for me is a bit of a sad word in a sense that uh, Philippines is a rich country but run poorly and there's not a lot of opportunity there. When I was young, you know, you want to do things like you want to become a lawyer or, or a doctor or something like that, but we tend to want to become a nurse because there's more opportunity. We don't like it, but we do the nursing because there's more opportunity for us to go abroad. And family is the center in our culture. So we do it because we want to help our family, we want to help our children. So our England is not even part of the mindset when we were young. We want to go to America, we want to go to Singapore somewhere. It's only that when, when the gates open on 2000 and I'm not, my journey is sad in a way that, you know, I don't, I, I could have been doing something else, but happy because I end up in here with new community in here with my family. So a bit of both. Thank you. Gregory, I think you should respond to this one as your daughter picked it out. <laughs> Clothes, uh, basic necessity. I hope I'm appropriately clothed for today's occasion. We're lucky now that we can afford now to buy clothes that we want to. In comparison, when we grow up, uh, handout, I mean uh, clothes, because this is a luxury for us before, but now at least we got a stable job and something that we can afford now. And, you know, part of the joining as well. Clothes for me, I think, as I've got older in particular and developed more confidence, I feel like I can wear what I want when I want. There doesn't have to be a particular occasion always. So for example, wearing Indian clothes when I grew up in a very white area and my grandmother who lived with us wore the salwar kameez with a junni on her head, so her head was covered. It was just very different from the community we lived in. And I just remember like when my grandmother would collect us from school, how friends would, even if they didn't explicitly say anything, she was very othered. And it's the way she was looked upon wearing that. And as I've got older, I've learned to embrace the national clothes of my heritage, whether that's a sari, silwar kameez, the Indian jewellery, and it always fills me with joy. There's just a magic when I put on my national dress, and I just feel really emotional. Absolutely. Next time you visit us here at the museum, would you come in your national dress? I will, I will. <laughs> it's a bit cold today. <laughs> Maybe we could do something on clothing next year. Something on clothing in the spring when yeah. it's warmer, perhaps. Thank you. Now, the next object that's been picked out of the basket is this old tin. Now, this, this was actually used for Smith's potato crisps, mm. but maybe it was used for other things. What comes to mind? Bits and bobs. <laughs> <laughs> Life's full of yeah, them. Bits and bobs. You know, our elders hate throwing stuff, buttons, yeah. needles, you know, knitting needles, anything that they can save, even the bottles. They, 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 they don't want to throw away because they think, oh, someday we're gonna, we might be able to use it someday and someday. And you got little bits of boxes and tins with little bits of bobs in it. 
Um, building on what Gregory said, I think it is, it's that sustainability. Somebody said at my a recent Chilton storytelling event that my grandmother knew about sustainability and upcycling before it became fashionable. That's how I feel about old jars, old tins, and a bit like the tea spices I've sent round. On my way here, I was actually thinking of the way my mum or grandmother would store tea spices in old reusable tins. But this tin, whenever I see a tin and the sound of a tin, I think of my grandmother's snuff box. It was a little tiny silver snuff box. And I never really understood what snuff was until I was older. Um, but yeah, any, whenever I hear the sound of a tin, it reminds me of snuff. Thank you. Gita spoke about tea quite a lot earlier, and this has been the next selected object, a teapot. Is there anybody who would like to talk about tea or sitting around the tea table or what you might do in oh, a time of crisis or upset? Raj, that's you. <laughs> that, that, you've got lots of tea stories. Yes, let's pass you the teapot then. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, what comes to my mind very recently is um, when that time of despair and thing you say when it brings people together. It was a time when my sister who'd been going through uh, uh, bowel cancer and this has been going on for weeks and she was given days to go but she survived seven weeks at the end of that evening she the evening she passed away i mean we were all upset but we'd come to an acceptance by that time and the strange thing was we all sitting around she's in the bed and we all sitting around the nurses have brought us tea and everything and sitting there and just going over her life and that as much as it was sad, but it kind of brought us, my mum, my sisters, the other sisters, and all the kids together. So, yeah, yeah. Thank you very much for sharing that with us. There's so many times we say, shall we just sit down and have a cup of tea? And you gather your thoughts. Pop the teapot down. And would you like to pick a word out, please? A word. Just any word. Photograph. So, BJ, what does uh, the word photograph make you so, think about? It reminds me of my old job. I worked for Kodak for over 30 years. <laughs> but one of the nicest things about photography is it captures all the very nice moments that you have with your family, your friends, and occasions that you celebrate. And whenever somebody comes to visit our house, we've got albums that people start to open and start to look at all these old photographs and, you know, try and remember all these lovely moments that uh, we had in holidays, weddings, even funerals. We do take photographs when uh, said occasions, as some of the younger ch generation might not have met the uncles and aunts or nieces and nephews as well depending on you know but it is a wonderful thing to have and it is a work of art as well people do like to have photographs hanging in their living room in their lounge in the passage and it's it's a nice way to you know show your good moments which is really wonderful 
Thank you. Thank you. Well, the next object is, is quite different to a photograph. <laughs> Strike a pose. It's a, it's a hammer. They get used a lot round here for all the, the buildings. Gregory Orgita, would you like to comment on this? Yeah, go on, I'll do it. This kind of reminds me of my dad's shed. My dad loved his shed. His shed was a work of art and the tools in the shed. And when I got married, I didn't realise I married somebody who was a notch above my dad with the shed or the garage. So the women in the family tended not to use the DIY tools because we were generally in the kitchen. What's been really nice for me to see with two daughters is how my husband has empowered them with tools which were traditionally used by men and how they've become DIY enthusiasts. So, yeah, that hammer which is used to put nails in, to put photographs up and all sorts of things, or DIY in the garden. Yeah, it's a really special tool, actually. <laughs> well, this, is, this has been picked out by my mother, who um, isn't quite as confident as I am with a microphone, let's put it like that. It's a very evocative word, certainly for me, and I should imagine for both of you and other people here. Gregory, what does the word home make you think about? Well, quite a sense, a bit cliche, but there's no place like home. Although I've been here in England, we've been here in England for more than 20 years. We always long, longing to go, to go home. I mean, no matter how expensive it is to go home with children and everything, you're going to spend about 5000 just because this is our way of recharging ourselves. We work throughout the year to save money so we can see the, our family. Home, just four, four simple letters. But again, like Gregory said, it evokes so much. For me, at this moment in time with the campfire on, it evokes my late grandmother, my late Dadima, who lived with us. And towards her latter days, when she was, you know, she'd kind of given up, she'd constantly say, in Punjabi, I want to go home. I want to go home. And my dad would say in his brothers, this is your home, you're with your children, you're with your grandchildren, this is home. And she'd say, no, I need to return to my land. I need to walk on my land, my soil. And I think from what I remember, she had a little bit of soil in a bag that she'd bought from India, which, she, which kind of kept her rooted to the Punjab. But she would constantly say, I want to go back home. So it's, you know, that sense of home can be anywhere. This could be our sense of home because we're with a community of people where we feel cosy and snug by the campfire. So, yeah. Hi. Would you like to pick out an object? Oh, OK. Or a word. Thank you. So the next word we've got here is music. Is there anybody here in the audience who would like to comment on music? Would you like to? Fantastic. Are you going to hold the word? And shall I, shall I hold the microphone? Yeah. Shall we sit down? Booting cats and booting cats and booting cats and booting cats and booting cats. Thank you so much. You got a round of applause. Thank you. Does anybody else have a song for us? Me, I do. Fantastic. 
dinosaurs. A round of applause for the dinosaurs. <laughs> round of applause for the dinosaurs. And a round of applause for you too. Thank you. Now I know there's there's somebody who's sitting over there who is in charge of sound. He's also a rather superb musician. And music plays a huge part in his life and that of his family. Mr. Glenn. Two things. The one thing is for me, because of the family I grew up in, because I very much believe that music is not genetic, it's influence. And I grew up in a family where there was music 24 seven. So music for me is more than just something I do. It's like a security blanket. When I have music with me, I feel secure. Home, in fact. And the other thing is something I've learned since I've married the person I married. It's all very well having artists and superstars on stage. That's great. It's entertainment. But music should be something that everybody owns, that everybody joins in, that everybody participates in. It should not just be something you go and watch. In other words, the more people that join choirs or sing at home or to their children when they're growing up, the better. Thank you. And uh, couldn't agree more. Alison over here has picked up a piece of lace. What does that make you think about? I'm actually going to stand up because I've managed to sit down for as long as I can without falling off that bale. But I was captivated by this piece of lace because it doesn't look like English lace. Where has it come from? I'm going to ask you, when you were children, were you going to end up here? And before I ask you that, can I just ask everybody else who's here? It's going to come back to the lace, don't worry. Has, has anybody grown up somewhere other than here and come here for... Right, look at this, look at all these hands. All these people have come from somewhere else. Now, this lace is appropriate, actually, for me because it could have come from Guatemala, where there's quite a, a, a lace tradition. And I was born in the UK by mistake. My next brother was born in Guatemala. And we all ended up here, but you could end up working in Timbuktu, or Hong Kong, or Malaysia, or Iceland. You have no idea, but the whole future is ahead of you, and it could be somewhere vastly different from where you are now. And I just wanted to ask also, did you two think you were going to be here when you were small? What did you imagine? I never thought I'd leave Nottingham, to be honest. Um, and I grew up in Nottingham, and Nottingham is famous for the lace market. And so lace is a big part of that. And I just remember growing up having Nottingham lace doilies on the table. They were really special. And they always made that tea serving special if you put a lace doily underneath. It reminds me of my roots in Nottingham. Prior to coming in here, I don't have any idea what England's going to be like, you know. <laughs> we're, our, our mindset is always America, America, America's this, America that. We were, we were colonized by American after Spanish, and then it was the turn of Americans. So we are the most westernized uh, country in Southeast Asia, but never 
in my mind, even when I was young, that I'm going to end up in, in England because it's something that we you know, Brit, and I know British uh, colonized Singapore, but never, I think they've never been to Philippines at all. No regrets, and I'm happy that I'm here. We're happy that you're here too. <laughs> so I think we've got time for looking at a couple more objects, couple more words. One of the objects in the basket is a pipe. So this makes me think of my maternal grandfather. He smoked a pipe. And we would get together quite regularly as a family and sit around the table and there'd be lots of food and conversation. And towards the end of the meal, granddad would get his pipe out and it was quite a ritual and he'd put in the tobacco and he'd light a match. And either me or my sister or one of my cousins would blow the match out. He would light another match and guess what happened? And another and another until he got a little bit cross and eventually we stopped blowing out his matches and he could light his pipe and enjoy it. Anybody else got a pipe story? Stuart. Uh, yes, uh, when I was growing up, my father um, had a pipe cupboard. He was a, quite a keen pipe smoker. He used to go to his little private cupboard where he used to keep everything. He used to buy tinned tobacco. And rather like the box that we looked at earlier on, which Greggy said he kept knickknacks in, once he'd used all the tobacco, he used to put his nails and screws and he used to have a little white label on the top saying what type of nail, what type of screw it is. And I still have many of those at home. And every time I go to my screw and nail collection, I need something, I can think of my father. And it just shows you how important it is to keep hold of things like that because they are our thread from present times right through, you know, through our generations. And uh, a little old tin tobacco box can be so important. Thank you, Stuart. So I'm going to pick out another object and ask Gita or Gregory to see if they want to respond to a ball of wool. The ball of wool makes me think about entry to grandmotherhood and the women who are the family elders, mainly women, I don't know any men in our family who can knit, but it's how special I felt when we've been gifted handmade knitted goods from those women in the family who have made gifts for my granddaughter. And it's that art of crochet, that art of knitting, and we've seen that here in the museum today, how special it is. And I just wish I'd learnt, but I, I never did. I know my grandma, uh, you know, do the, used to do knitting when I was young, but it reminds me of my first job in UK. I used to work in a nursing home. A lot of our residents, you know, how important this tiny bit is for them. Yeah. Because uh, hardly there's any visitor to see them, and this is what they do almost all day. This piece is almost as important as a family for them. Yeah. Uh, while waiting for someone to visit, that, that's what, that, what they do all day. Thank you. Well, I guess stories can be a little bit like a, a ball of wool or string. They have a beginning and a middle and an end. They can be long or be short. They're certainly very much part of being human. We've been telling stories in so many different ways for tens of thousands of years. We are going to wrap up this storytelling session for this year. Thank you very much, Gita and Gregory, for sharing your thoughts and ideas and to everybody else. 
The next bit of the afternoon, if you'd like to stay, is uh, some marshmallow toasting. But before you all leap to those and decide whether you want a pink one or a white one, Gregory and Gita, thank you very, very much. Thank you.